Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter. Almost done with this one. Uh, and you might think we're almost done with the whole Bible, but <laughs> we have not been reading through Genesis through Revelation. We've been going through and sampling the different sorts of genres, and we're seeing how Revelation is indeed, uh, in many ways, like the Old Testament here. And we're wrapping it up, though. We've got chapter 21 in store for us today. And yeah, the last two chapters, and this is the one where you get the new heaven and the new earth. You know, I mean, there is no other, I mean, this and 22, right? But like these chapters, there's no other place in the Bible where I, I think you have a picture of what we would call heaven. Um, you know, you just have the heavenly Jerusalem, this holy city with these um, these massive walls. We're talking about these dimensions. The city is gigantic. I think it's a lot bigger than anyone realizes when you're just reading through this casually and there's all kinds of precious stones you know and you, you got precious stones names that you're not even sure what they mean like carnelian and chrysolite and all this right uh, what what's the significance here what's what's going on what, what is because we've seen this is so symbolic what what does this mean um it's not literally going to look like this but uh, joining us today to talk about this really cool chapter, this vision of the heavenly home of the church. We've got Pastor Kevin Parviz joining us today from Congregation Chayva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome back, brother. Really cool chapter to be looking at, a little bit different from uh, the Psalms that we're more accustomed to talking about, but a good chapter, huh? Oh, yeah, it's a great chapter, and it's uh Great chapter of comfort for us to right now are dealing with all this stuff. Right, I know. It, it wouldn't be bad to have a little bit of a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem, right, when we're all just kind of uh, kind of getting a little crazy staring at the walls, right? <laughs> yeah, when our, our scene doesn't change, we need to have a vision of what we're going to. That's right, that's right. Well, and I think that in that respect we do relate to the original audience, right? Because they needed a little bit of a vision of the heavenly um, amidst their circumstances. You bet, you bet. So how are you guys well, doing? Let, yeah, um, you know, we're, we're doing good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit envious of, of you guys out in Missouri. I, I, I understand that you guys are kind of like uh, warming up and getting ready to kind of get back into things. But um, but yeah, out here, we're, we're still pretty pretty bunkered down pretty well. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any evidence of, of letting us loose, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> we're we're yeah. still under a shutdown order till May 15th, and then after that, they're going to reevaluate. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, yeah. In, in California, in California, it's just really, um, it, it's it's really clamped down on things. I mean, it's uh, they're they're basically talking like we're not going to be able to do. Or well, they won't allow anyway religious services to happen till like maybe late June, like oh at the earliest. Yeah. So yeah, no, we're we're uh, yeah. But anyways, I digress. Yeah, we, you know, but uh, we we are we are getting used to the uh, the technology, and that has a lot of benefits and blessings when this does open up. And I hope that our churches will continue to use it to reach out to people. So it, it forces Amen. all of us to learn new ways to communicate God's vision. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, well, let, let's go ahead without any further ado and turn to the text here. Um, let's let me see here. Let's go ahead and get started. If you would open us up with a prayer 
And uh, yeah, just for us and for everyone listening along today and for uh, all our brothers and sisters. Abba, Father, we thank and praise you for this new day. And uh, yes, this old technology and yet delivered across new mediums. We thank you for that, Father, that many will be able to listen. And we, Lord, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would anoint us anew for understanding of this uh, glorious and yet also challenging chapter. Uh, Lord, as you give us a vision of the place where we actually live, not these broken spaces, but this glorious new heaven that you are calling us home to. Give us joy in that vision and sustain us in these times. B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Well, let's go ahead and start with just reading through the chapter straight. Just kind of let it speak for itself. Uh, we remember that we finished reading chapter 20. Uh, where, where, yeah, it was this, this vision of the lake of fire. Um, and we saw how, I mean, the thing is that's, that's good about this is that's where all the enemies go. So the, the beast goes there, the false prophet goes there. Uh, the dragon goes there, right? So everything goes into the death and Hades, right? All goes into the lake of fire. Uh, and then you get this here, chapter 21. So let's just read this straight through, and then we'll kind of circle back around and take a look at these uh, first couple of verses in particular. But uh, yeah, so this Revelation 21 on the English Standard Version. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud, and I heard a loud voice. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. 
The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was of pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third, uh, is it agate? <laughs> uh, uh, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, so there it is. I mean, just... Uh, uh, the language is just so larger than life. We're going to be talking about those particularly giant dimensions here. We got more of that number 12 stuff going on here, but uh, 12,000 stadia. We'll talk about <laughs> the, the length there. Um, but but just going back here to the first verse, to kind of just break it down, the, uh, the first verse is really interesting. The language of a new heaven and a new earth is accompanied with the description that the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And and along with that, then the sea. So, I mean, what are we supposed to take from that? Because I don't know, you, you could read this, I feel like, and say, so basically, you know, God like kind of just, you know, crumpled up the first one, threw it in the waste back, basket and said, okay, here's the new thing, right? Like, like there's, there's nothing, there's no continuity, right? Like, don't worry about any of this stuff. It's all going to burn anyway, sort of thing. I mean, is that is that like what the meaning is here, or is there a different way of taking this? Well, there are so many. Uh, I use this chapter a lot in our ministry. There's so many touchstones. If you understand this from, you know, a Jewish perspective, it has so much going on in this chapter because, um, I mean, first of all, we know that in the time of John and, and uh, certainly in the first century, the sea was a vision of chaos. The sea right. had this a double meaning, and so that chaos is gone. The first heaven and the first earth were corrupted by sin. They're gone, and I think it's, I think it's simply language that says what we have now will be perfected into Eden again. Um, and uh, and this, this is... Um, you know, it's just perfection language. There's no more chaos, no more sin, no more, uh, you know, the, the new heaven replaces the heaven where there was a rebellion against God and, and Satan and his angels were cast down. Uh, and yet somehow we know in Job that Satan still has access to, to God. 
to to uh, accuse us day and night before him. That's gone. That's over. He no longer has access. That heaven is gone, and there's this new perfected heaven that is going to come down to earth. And in, a, in some sense, as much as we can understand it as human beings, sort of envelop us. And I see this kind of the reversal of the ascension, uh, right? So in the ascension, mm. Jesus leaves and raises and, and, and arises into the sky. And now, he, you know, if you think about Paul and Thessalonians, he has come down uh, and judged. And now we have this enveloping new heaven, this perfection that is coming to us and surrounding us. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's spot on. There's a tension, right? Because um, like you said, like you, you go back and you, you look at this from a Hebrew perspective. I mean, you, you go back and uh, the, the word choice is actually, I think, pretty significant, too. Um, I mean, it, it says the sea is no more. Right. And uh, and there, there's, there's a little bit of this this kind of dual meaning there. Right. Because on the one hand, um, the seas, right, uh, were created by God on the. I mean, I believe I believe they get their name on the third day, if I'm recalling correctly. You, you, that's where you get the true distinction between uh, land and seas, right? right. So on, on the one hand, um, the sea is good; it's a creation of God, right? But on the other oh, hand, like you were life. saying, we've it's we've seen teeming with life, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but on the other hand, right, we've seen throughout the book of Revelation how the sea um, represents uh, evil, chaos, right? Um, and, I, and I think actually what John is doing for us a little bit is I think the fact that this is singular is actually tipping us off to what way he's trying to have us take this. Um, because it's actually usually uh, plural in like the Genesis 1 account. I think that's true in Hebrew. Um, well, it's, I, I know it's true in Hebrew anyway. Uh, it's Mayim, right? Um, but I'm I'm thinking it might be true in the Septuagint also. Uh, but yeah, so he's, it's a particular sense here. It's the sense of the chaos. It's the sense of, you know, in the beginning, in Genesis, uh, you have that the Spirit of God is, you know, hovering over the waters, it says, right? So there is a sense where there's kind of water, not as the orderly seas that God has created, but waters as in the chaos, uh, the nothingness, um, before God got to the work of creation, the nothingness there, right, which is uh, represented as, uh, you know, described as chaos, right? So we have to be careful about the sense here. It's not that, you know, anything that God made is bad. Similarly with night at the end, right? It says there's no more night. Well, no, night is good. Night was created on the first day, right? Um, but the darkness of the nothingness before the work of God, that was um, not. So there's there's a distinction between the two, it seems. Yeah, and there's a bookend there because, you know, keep in mind, while day and night were, were distinguished in creation, they were distinguished before the sun and the moon were created. And so now right. we're we don't we have no need of the sun or the moon anymore because we're going back to where the lamb is the light, the that light that shone upon creation before the creation of the heavenly bodies is the light that we have here at the end of chapter twenty one, right. and and you know and the sea the sea while we have that dual meaning and all of the and the sea is a, a great source of life we have to remember too that. Later here in the chapter, that the water of life is going to come from the Alpha and the Omega, you know, from this 
the, the one who comes. That's where our life and our water will come from. So it's a different kind of water. It's not a water we have to fear to cross and, you know, shipwreck and all of the things that, that I, I'm convinced that God put his temple where he put it because trading routes were such that they didn't want to cross the Mediterranean Sea. So they had to come <laughs> right through right through yep. here because they didn't, want to, they didn't want to deal with that chaos. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, that's it, it, a good uh, point to bring up because we, we I think we kind of maybe uh, underestimate that. We think to ourselves like, oh, well, they're right there on the coast, you know, so yeah, they, they must have just done, you know, taken the sea everywhere. Well, no, I mean, honestly, you, you tried to avoid having to ship stuff out by sea if you could, um, yeah, you know, like when, when the Romans were moving around their legions, they didn't just put them all on a boat. <laughs> um, like yeah, that was a yeah. great way to lose a lot of your, your legions. You know, they, they really actually marched them like all the way around, um, you know, through that trade route that you were talking about. That was the, the usual way you would go. You wouldn't usually um, send anybody except for, you know, maybe a select few of the leaders, maybe, um, in like, you know, your, your best and finest ships with every precaution. Right. But, um, you didn't use the sea any more than you had to, cause it was a dicey proposition. Yeah. You can't control it. And, you know, we see even on the little body of water, like the sea of Galilee, where the storm comes up so quickly and, and all threatens to, to sink the boat. I mean, think about that on the Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, so you have, and I appreciate too your comment about the sun and the moon, right? Because so there, so there it is. So you know, yes, if you go back to Genesis one, um, the seas, uh, plural, right, and the, and the sun and the moon, they're they're good things. But really, it's just as you were saying here, when you get to the end of the chapter, um, you know, it says that there's there's no sun or the moon. The, the thing is, it's not that they're necessarily bad. It's just that they're just not even needed anymore right. you just don't need a sea you just don't you just don't need a sun or a moon um you know that was what you had in verse 23 right the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives it light and its lamp is the lamb so those things just aren't yeah, needed and we got to remember too like what was the whole purpose of the sun according to genesis 1 right it was to govern the day right um you don't need the sun to do that anymore because now the son of God is just doing it directly and immediately in the middle of the city. Yeah. And I mean, the, the heavenly lights were given to us to mark seasons and times and all of the things that we need as we march through this kind of linear life, but that's not going to be needed when we're in the, in the glory of the temple. Right. So, so yeah, so the thing is, it, it's not so much here that the old things were bad um even though like the, the dark watery chaos right i mean is, is described as as bad uh, the, the point here is not so much that you know the first creation was bad and now this creation is is good but it's more like the second creation is just better so you know in well, that sense mind, all of creation was corrupted by sin so you know that's true the that's sun, true that's right the sun and the moon you know so that, that's true but what's what's fascinating here is that it, it's not just that this is like a fresh start like god's like okay that one got messed up you know let me throw that one away i'll pull out a new one and this one won't get messed up i'll like put this one high like on a higher shelf so the kids won't you know mess it up right <laughs> like that's not just the point here the point is actually this this creation is actually better from the start right like you know god looked out on creation right on the sixth day and saw that it was very good 
Um, but here, this is even better from the beginning, even better than the first creation, even before it was corrupted in sin. Yeah. And, and it's not like, you're right, he's not, I mean, when he says, behold, I am making all things new, it's not a throwing away of the old, it's remaking it. Right. It's, this is like, right. the, and, and so, like a conservator of a wonderful painting, right? The painting gets dirt and maybe some tears and some chips, but the conservator comes along and he makes it just gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's all new. Exactly. So, and, and so that's something we too got to, uh, it helps us to see that when we compare it back to the Old Testament, because we've seen this language actually um, back in Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 65, we had that language of, um, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And we saw how, you know, in, in that language, well, I think that Isaiah kind of in some ways anticipates this, what we have today. Uh, but even in just that local context, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the the renewal of God's people, right? The, the renewed uh, promised land that's no longer in exile, no longer ruled by the Babylonians, right? It's a, it's a new order, right? And we, we've talked about this before when we were talking about Isaiah, how that phrase new heaven, a new world, um, it's kind of like a, a new paradigm, a new, a, a new state of affairs, a new arrangement, right? It's not the status yeah. quo anymore. So like you were saying, like with like the conservator analogy, right? I mean, it's like, it, it's not, it's not that like God, it's throwing everything away. I mean, that's the whole idea of resurrection, right? That it's not that the old is totally gone. I mean, you still saw the Lord's body with the, the holes in it, right? But it's renewed. Yeah, and even our own bodies, you know, we might be cremated, we might be buried, we might be whatever we are, but God is going to reach down in the dust of the earth again, reform us, breathe his breath into us, resurrect us, and give us life, and it'll be a life that we never could imagine in the life that we have now. Yeah, amen. Well, we only have a couple minutes here before the break. Let's go ahead and press on just a little bit here. We've kind of jumped around a little bit in the chapter, kind of looking at like the first verse here, but then also um, a little bit kind of skipping ahead to like verse 21, just kind of comparing it to Genesis. But uh, here's here's a little bit of an interesting uh, turn here. So not just about the city itself, but like how it's symbolically represented. So here's verse two again. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, we've seen, I think, a couple of times throughout Revelation, some hints about this bride. But this is, I think, the first time where the bride is just positively identified, right, um, as New Jerusalem specifically, which really contrasts, right, with Babylon before, who was called mother of all prostitutes, and Babylon. I mean, what a contrast between, it seems, two cities. And, uh, you know, we often, you know, because of Paul, I'm sure, but you know, we think of the church as the bride of Christ, and this, so is there, is, is there this, the same thing? Is this new heaven, this new heavenly Jerusalem, the perfected church? Sure. Right. Well, and I, and I think um, there's something to be said about what, what it means that the church is the, the heavenly Jerusalem, or uh, comes to live in the heavenly Jerusalem, or exactly what that what that means, but. 
uh, we got to hold on to that thought. It's time for our break here. So everybody hang on. We're looking at Revelation chapter 21 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 21, though um, I know after the first half hour, you're like, aren't you looking at Genesis 1? Yeah, no, there's a lot of connections with the Old Testament. We were just looking at Genesis 1, um, you know, comparing the, the, the seas and also the, the sun and the moon, right? Uh, but also looking at Isaiah 65, we saw. So a lot of good Old Testament connections here. Uh, breaking it down for us and helping us walk through the chapter. We're joined by Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor at Chayva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri, there in Dogtown. If you have a question for me or Pastor Parviz, here's your chance. If you're listening live, you can give us a call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And uh, as I was saying during the break uh, to everyone on the internet, um, you can also just put a comment or question straight into the chat box on Facebook. And I should see that also. We're getting that back up again. Uh, I want to make sure to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They're underwriting the program. Thy Strong Word, thank you guys for your support and the work that you do. Their website is lhfmissions.org. So speaking of singular and plural there, it's plural. Um, Okay, so we were just looking at chapter 21 here, looking at uh, verse 2. 
the heavenly Jerusalem in particular is described as the woman, right? So the the women are are cities. Babylon, um, like like we said, and I, I think this this also kind of strengthens. I mean, I guess people can see it differently, but um, for me anyway, this strengthens the idea that the uh, the bad Jerusalem, the apostate Jerusalem, is to be understood by Babylon before. I think you get a really strong contrast then. There's the heavenly Jerusalem above, right, which is the, the home of the, the faithful Christians, those who are in Christ. Um, and then there's the Babylon, the apostate Jerusalem below. So, I mean, what it shows you is that there's, it's not like God is done with Jerusalem, like, ah, Jerusalem, that didn't work out, you know, forget Jerusalem. But that there's a, there's a heavenly one that hasn't been tainted by all the corruption that's going down on earth. Do we still have you there, brother? Oh yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, 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 very good. <laughs> it's like, hang on, he did not off, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, so what, what do you think the significance though is that, um, I, I mean that the that the city is is personified, right? Because I feel like in our modern context, we're a little bit detached from the places we live, right? They're just, or in the places we work. They're just kind of places, right? Um, you know, we move here, we move there. We're here for a few years, there for a, uh, a few years. This city, that city. You know, it's kind of like you know you're there because it's you have a layover there. You know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a kind of disconnectedness we have from place, uh, but. But I don't. I, I feel like there's a stronger connection here between the people and the city. What do you think? I mean, absolutely. I mean, Jerusalem is God's holy city, the city on a hill, Zion. Jesus stands outside of Jerusalem and laments over it. Um, and it's not. I mean, Jerusalem becomes a symbol there. I mean, Jesus is not just lamenting over the people in Jerusalem. It's that it is. God's city that has so turned against the prophets. Um, and so there's this um, very visceral connection between God and Jerusalem. And so, right. you know, we have this, but, you know, in, in a sense, Jerusalem then in, in here especially becomes the, as I said, I think it's the reversal of the ascension. It is God's presence that tabernacling, because later it will say this is God dwelling with us. Um, he yep. dwells there, and he comes and envelops us in his dwelling. Exactly. I, and I think that's spot on, because, I mean, that's what it says there in the, in the next verse, right? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. Um, and as you were saying, that that's that language of, of um, well, like the, the tabernacle, right? And and that way, the the place is is really significant, um, because it, it's the place where God is. You know, I mean, this and this is what you see throughout the Old Testament, right? You know, whether it's uh, you know with Moses, you know, take off your sandals uh, because this is holy ground, or just everything that you had going on with the tabernacle, or with the uh, with the tent of meeting, or with the temple, right? There, there's this idea of of space being important because this is where God is. And I, I think today it, it's almost cliche, I feel like, among Christians where, where you just kind of say like, oh, well, the church isn't a building, right? And it's like, well, yes, of course, the church isn't a building. It's, it's the people, right? But that doesn't mean that like the building doesn't matter. And I feel like this is sort of indicative of that because 
when our Lord said that, you know, no stone will be left on uh, standing on top of another, that didn't mean like, oh, I don't care about buildings. It, it meant, well, this building's been corrupt, so I'm making a new one, right? Like, and here, and here it is. There, there is a significance to the created order. I mean, the, the land, right, is a good thing. Um, it's it's part of us. We're, we're part of the land on, on a certain level, you know? Like, so that there is a place where God will be, that that matters. It's not just we're just kind of people or disembodied souls. We're, we're people in God's city, and there he is too. Yeah, and I don't think we—I mean, you know, I've got to tread on some thin ice here, uh, but I don't think we can even fully separate God's dwelling with even from the existence of of, the, of Jerusalem today. I, I I can't speak for this, but I do know that when I'm at the Wailing Wall, I have a visceral, emotional response to that because it it is it seems a different place. Now, yeah, I've got all this baggage that I'm bringing with me when I go there, but it is it it, it does there seems a sense even of His presence there because God doesn't remove His presence from us. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. Uh, and yes, while Jerusalem, the city that is Jerusalem today, is, uh, it, it can be a dangerous place, and it's been a place of conflict and, and, and revolution and all manner of things, he still has a heart for that. And, you know, Paul swears to that heart in the Book of Romans. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I, think, I, I think you're right, brother. You know, I, I don't think it's it's very it's very tricky and it feels like these days especially in the age of sound bites it's so hard to have any nuance because there's yeah. so many people who want to go along and say like oh well you know this is why we got to do this this and that and middle eastern like political geopolitical policy and all this right and you, you get this thrust that's like we need to go and like you know reconquer it and all the rest right and Nuclear, okay yeah, that, right. right and so you start going off in that direction and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, like, oh, it just doesn't matter, whatever, let it burn. But, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like in the middle is is where you ought to be, which is that I, I think that legitimately from a Christian perspective, you, you should look at the city of Jerusalem, and there should be mourning that there's a mosque right there okay. where the temple used to be, right? And that you don't have the Ark of the Covenant, and that— I mean, I don't. I mean, not that we need those things. Those were just shadows and images, right? But the shadows right. and images were were good because God made them. He ordered them to be and, made. And the God man walked those rocks. I mean, that, right? That, that's right. That, that, yeah. So it is. It is a special you know, place, and, even. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah, no, it, it, is, it is still a special place. And um, yes, God, I mean, of course, we've seen this again and again through Revelation, and it was God's judgment that he destroyed it, right? He destroyed it um, in righteous judgment. That was exactly what the city of Jerusalem deserved. Um, but we, we remember, you know, the elders who returned from the exile, right? And they were rebuilding the new the new temple. And I, and I feel like this is where, where they were at, that when you rebuild the temple, you, they cried, because, well, this was just a reminder, we had to rebuild this because we deserved it being destroyed. It was a reminder, a very big reminder, right, of, of the failure of God's people. And so when we're there at the Wailing Wall, I mean, you know, we, we can't—I mean, guys, we, we can't have it both ways. We can't have our cake and eat it, too. Either we are adopted into the family of Abraham, and so, like, that was us, 
um, who failed God and was um, idolatrous and was uh, the sexually immoral Babylon, right? Either that was us, um, all of the bad things too, right? And we also are made part of the heirs of the benefits and the promise of the family of God, the people of uh, the children of Abraham, right? Like, or um, we're, we're, we're not either. You, you, don't get to, you don't get to say like, oh, well, that was the Old Testament people of God, but we're the New Testament people of God, and we've never made any mistakes, of course. And there's never been a lack of continuity between the two. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, so it, it's really, um, it's very, it's very powerful, this idea that, that we are the people of God who there, there is a place, a real place for us, um, even despite um, the things that are going on currently. Um, so, so kind of rounding the corner here a little bit, let's take a look at this, this place. It's described, well, I mean, I guess before you get to the description in, of the physical uh, aspects, uh, there, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, death shall be no more, no more mourning, crying, pain. Um, I, I mean, I feel like this is, uh, you know, again, this is more the language of Isaiah 65, we saw, yeah, um, totally. you know, this is 6519, right? When the, in the same way, I will rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad in my people, no more shall be heard in it, the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Um, you know, I, and I think that that's amazing all by itself because, you know, to, to think that there might literally, and not just kind of hyper, hyperbolically, right, as it is in Isaiah, there might literally be a place with none of these things anymore is, is astounding to even imagine. But making the Old Testament connect, connection, I think, shows that, this is a second return from exile, and um, that has special significance, too. Mm-hmm, yeah. And just as, you know, all Jerusalem, which was created under God's instruction, is not bad. It is corrupted, but he's going to make that new as well. Right. So, so there, there, it's, it's just more of the, more of the renewal, um, the, the idea that this new Jerusalem is not nothing to do with the old Jerusalem. It, it is somehow the old Jerusalem as it was meant to be restored, improved. Um, so, you know, that, that city that we're mourning over right now has a comeback. Um, right. And, and, yeah. we're, we're, and we're part of that comeback. Um, and, and that's, I think, part of the reason why you have a description here of a, of a physical place, right? Um, he's saying, I'm making all things new, or like we said, renewing all things. Um, and and the okay, I'm I'm jumping ahead, but we will come back to it. Um, but I just want to talk about the description here. We got to make sure we talk about the description before we run out of time. It it is this big um, physical description where everything is jewels, right? Um, you've got these a gigantic wall, which we should talk about with the fact that it has a wall because um, back in Zechariah, the, the idea was it would have no walls, right? You no, know, we didn't want any walls because it was going to be really big and all this stuff was going to be there. Uh, here, there are walls, and there's really big gates, too. Um, and there's three gates on each of the sides, and there's all these um, precious stones, right? And I'm just there, like, kind of even wondering, like, I, I forgot what some of the ones were. Jasper, Sapphire, right, and all the rest. What do you make of the, the way this is described? Um, just just in terms of, like, the, the precious materials, the yeah. gems and the gold. Well, I have always thought that this was a description of the of, of there is no more need for the priesthood in this new Jerusalem. When we have we have the Urim and the Thummim in six, which is the yeah. 
which is the you know the whatever it was that let, allowed the priest to discern what God's will is, uh, and Jesus says, "I am," and you know he says the Alpha and the Omega, but in the Septuagint or in the Greek and the Hebrew, I mean that would be the Aleph and the Tav, which are the first two letters of the Urim and the Thummim. I think that's a direct yeah. connection to that because those were lost in Babylon. The chief, right. the breastplate of of the priests that had the twelve stones for the twelve tribes uh, was lost in Babylon. And while we can't make direct connections to those stones being exactly what these twelve stones are, this is the breastplate refound. We now are on the breastplate. The Urim right. and the Thummim are with us. They, if we don't have to worry about what God's will is. We're we're within God's will, and God's will is evident all around us. And, of course, the gate, you can't even make, I can't make, read that without referring to the pearl of great price. It is that that sure. which we come into the, into the city through. But the gates are never closed. Right. I mean, it's, yes, it's, right. It's so that... all a picture of this re, especially with the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity language all the way through, it is this entire restructuring of the priesthood. There are no more sacrifices. The, the, the ways in which the priesthood made their rulings is right here with us. The ruling is upon us. I mean, it is so clear that, that God is giving this, this comfort to a people who have really lost everything and have no understanding of what in the, and what in the world they have to look forward to. So we're putting, you know, John is putting this in terms that they might understand. Right. Well, and then also, I mean, it's, um, you know, putting it in terms that, that they might understand. And then also, um, I mean, as you were saying, this is this is a renewed city and a renewed and reconstituted um, priesthood even, right? And so yeah. on a certain level, you're like, well, why even bother having walls and gates if the gates are just going to be open all the time, right? Like what, <laughs> what purpose do the gates possibly serve? Right. And kind of the, the kind of, the, the kind of obvious answer is like, well, the old city of Jerusalem had walls and the old city of Jerusalem had gates. And so the new one gets them too. Cause it's this, it's on, on a certain level, it's the same Jerusalem, right? Yeah. I mean, like, why did the Lord Jesus in the resurrection, right? Why, why did his new body have um, the, the nail holes? in his hands right why yeah, did his new right. body have have a hole where the spear was well, what's the point of that does he need that in resurrection well no he doesn't need that but they are there because his old body had them and in a certain level it's the same body and um i, I remember i forget who it was i feel like this is one of the church fathers who said that in the resurrection that those that those nail holes in that uh that spot in his spear uh, where the spear had pierced his side were like jewels, right? And, and they and they glistened yeah. um, in, in the light. That that every, everything, all this stuff that was scars before, is is now transformed. And so, as adornments, as beautification. And so, it's not that it needs um, the gates. I mean, heck, it doesn't need the sun, right? So, I don't think it needs. <laughs> I don't think it needs gates, right? Um, right? But it's it's there for continuity, and it's there for beauty. And the gates, the gates have particular meaning for Jewish people because for example on the in the Yom Kippur service which is the day of atonement there is a service that closes the day of atonement called Neela which is the evening service and the prayer of Jewish people is that God would hear their pleas for mercy 
one more time before the gates are closed. And so the, right. there's a, a whole tradition of don't close the gates till you hear me, Lord, because when the gates are closed in that thinking that God is no longer listening to you. Well, here the gates are never closed. Right. You know, that's right. They they show, they, they have a meaning, right? You'll, you'll look up at the gates and they're open all the time, right? And what does that mean, right? It means more than just you can walk in, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, it, it means that, you know, like God is, the, the favor of God has never run out, right? Like the, the gates never close on you. There's there's access. I mean, like it it means so much. And, it, and I mean, isn't that, it's just for our sake that God puts them there. Um, to teach us and to remind us, um, almost like a memorial of a certain kind. Um, well, but, much like yeah, much like Jesus's nail holes, he, he didn't need them, yeah. but Thomas might have. Yeah. So, but yeah, they're yes, there for us. amen. Yeah, they're there for exactly. Us. Yeah, and that and that, that's really well said. I mean, Tom, Thomas needed him, right? Yeah, he, yeah. The Lord Jesus didn't, right? But but Thomas did, right? I mean, we, we need we need on a certain level to be able to recognize. It makes sense of this, you know, when we're resurrected from the dead and life is totally different. Uh, we need some kind of connection to the past to, to, for, for our sake. God doesn't need it, but but we do, and his, his grace um, provides that. Um, I want to talk more about what you were saying about the gemstones and the, the Urim and the, and the Thummim, and the Thummim, but before we get there, I just wanted to turn to a couple of questions that we got over the internet here, a couple sent in via email. Um, kind of talking about the, this new heaven, new earth idea, first of all. Um, but but, but kind of like what that what that exactly uh, means in relation to the lake of fire. So here's like one question here, which is that um, was the chaos of the first heaven and the first earth destroyed um, in the lake of fire? Um, and then kind of attached to that here, like what happened to the first heaven and the first earth in its imperfection? Um, so I just want to like kind of take those two together and then we can kind of look at the other ones that were sent in. So, um, like, like we were saying here that the fact that there is no sun, no moon, no sea, no night, right? Uh, I, I think that is the indication that on a certain level, the, the chaos is gone, right? Like the, the chaos, which was described in Genesis one as dark and watery, Right. I mean, that was the description that you had. It was like um, yep. it was like an abyss. Right. So it was described in dark, dark and watery terms. So that's that's gone. The chaos is gone. Um, and 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 the features are different because there's there's no sea, no sun, moon. Right. In, in this new uh, new creation. Uh, however, right. Like what we've been saying is that that doesn't mean the first earth and the first heaven are like annihilated, brought to nothing. And I think there's it's very hard to describe or imagine what even that means like in you know scientific or you know terms of physics right but i think the clearest picture is the the lord jesus himself it was on a certain level the same body right had the nail holes had the the piercing on the side it was it was the same body yet on i mean the body was was gone right from the tomb right so on a certain level it was the same body but on a certain level it was a different body um I mean, like, and I think that's kind of the most you can kind of say on what the relationship is. Um, Kevin, any thoughts there? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, can you still hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, still fine. I was just, yeah, I was just so asking, I mean, do, you, do you have any 
Yeah, go ahead. And, it, and think about it in terms, too, of our own bodies. We're, we're talked about when we are risen that we will have a glorified body. My body is not going to look like this, but there will be something that's recognizable about me, right? Yeah, right, right. Well, and, and I think this maybe gets um, the idea of, like, recognition, um, you know, it's, it's maybe important maybe for the second um few questions that came in so one was like do you think the phoenix is a good metaphor uh like the way that a phoenix rises from up from the ashes um yeah. is that a good metaphor um i i feel like maybe um i don't i don't know the details of the of the phoenix legend i mean it's it because it, like it's reborn as, as like a baby or something right but right. It, it's still the same phoenix is that right i don't i i, yeah, I need to like brush up on my it, it, is, it is still the same phoenix, phoenix though Right. Okay. So, but yeah, maybe, maybe a, that is. I don't know if we're all going to be babies in heaven, though. But uh, Well, <laughs> the Lord Jesus wasn't, right? So pro yeah, probably exactly. maybe not so much. Yeah. Right. Um, I, and then here, the, uh, the, second, the second few questions here that we saw. Uh, let me see here. Uh, so is the second death the—what uh, does this here say? Is the second death the entrance to eternity, and is the first death? Un, um, okay, if the first death isn't a judgment, then what is the need for a second death? Is there a double judgment? Okay, so this is kind of getting, I think, more back to uh, maybe the previous chapter, back in chapter twenty. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, any any thoughts there, brother, well, in terms of? Um, I don't know, I just trying to like help, help break this down, this first death, second death thing, because immediately we didn't have that much time to talk about it last time. So, Yeah, but I do think that, that we have a strange conception of resurrection, because I think that sometimes we get it into our head that really only the believers are resurrected. But remember, all people are die, have died, you know, apart from those who are alive when the Lord returns. We've all sort of died the first death, if you will, though the language of the Scriptures is that the believers don't die, they merely sleep. Their souls are with, with Christ, and their bodies are in the ground or wherever we are. But remember that at the resurrection, all are resurrected. So even the evil who have died outside of a, of a knowledge of Christ or a faith in Christ are also resurrected. So their second death is the judgment that goes to the lake of fire. Whereas we don't suffer a second death, we suffer an hey eternal brother, life. Um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just need to let you know, um, my headphones just went out. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, so I can't actually hear, uh, hear you right now. I need to, but anyways, uh, you, please go ahead and continue to hold forth here. You may actually you even need yeah, to. Sure uh wrap up for us here <laughs> but, but uh yeah i'm, I'm going to be working on that but 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 go go ahead um and trust that just, keep keep talking i just think Thanks. that we need to recognize that the 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 resurrection is for all all human beings you know both those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life and those whose names are not so the second death for those whose names are not written in the lamb's book of life is this lake of fire. It's, it's the result of judgment. That's why it's so important that while we have breath and we have life, we share, we share this truth. Uh, because it, there is a, a sense of end, uh, whereas we who are in the Lamb's Book of Life do not have to suffer that end. 
So there is no second death for us. It's a, it's a continued resurrection. And, and so it is, and that is the, the uh, language of the Day of Atonement, this book of life that is mentioned at the end of chapter 21. Uh, how do you get your name written into the Lamb's book of life? Only by receiving the, the faith in the promises of God through Messiah Yeshua. And at that point in time, all who are in the Lamb's Book of Life will be living in this glorious new city. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose, are, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's clear uh, Day of Atonement language. Well, I don't know what's going on out here, but I think we're coming to an end. Thank you for listening today. I hope AJ gets his uh, tech working. And Stephanie, it's been good to talk to you as well. Everybody be blessed and have a wonderful day. Stay safe. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.